This inspiring message comes to you from Impact Church in Kingston, Ontario, where we are committed to living like Jesus and loving like Jesus. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. Well, I'm excited, as per usual. I love these messages. They're so warm and fuzzy. Um, you know, they just make me want to hug somebody after. Joel, I, save me one for after, my friend. Save me one for after. Um, how many know that uh, the enemy's on alert? Uh, whenever you deal with some very, very difficult topics or very uh, spiritual topics like this, which we're doing for the last uh, seven weeks and today's week eight, um, the reality is, is the enemy does not like it. But the cool thing is, is the enemy is being exposed all across the city in multiple ways. And so we are excited about some of the things that are coming to the surface, things that we've kind of personally known about for a long time, but it's neat to see things coming to the surface. I'm even just taking note of some of the different topics on the wig and some of the things that are going on even in the news in Kingston. And it's like, ah, oh, I wonder if that has anything to do with it. Hmm. And I just kind of pause and think about that. But I have news for you today. God's heart is for the church to unmask the roots and the systems of the enemy so that we can overcome and we can walk in victory. Do you believe that this morning? Yes. Right? So the word unmask literally means to reveal the true identity of something or someone. And so that's literally what we've been doing for the last seven weeks. We're going to continue on today. Uh, two weeks ago, we talked about the foundations of Jezebel. Last week, we talked about the characteristics of Jezebel. Today, we're going to talk about her agenda. Okay? So what's she after? What's she up to? What, what does she want to keep cloaked and hidden? Um, just want to remind you of one verse from last week. 1 Kings 21:25. it says this. But there was no one like Ahab, who was Jezebel's husband, who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord. Because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. And that word stirred him up, that, that Hebrew word, is literally the, mean, the word kuth, which literally means to seduce or to entice. So Jezebel's goal is to seduce or to entice us into accomplishing her agenda. One thing I've realized about Jezebel is she rarely ever does anything on her own. She always uses other people to do her business. So what I want to talk about this morning, if anything, is talk about the three different people that she actually used in the book of 1 Kings and, and so that we understand uh, who she uses to accomplish her agenda. And then at the end, we're going to kind of bring it all together and show you which agenda she cannot stand and what she's after, uh, what she wants to destroy. There are three different types of people in this story, and there's three different types of people in everyday life, modern day life, uh, that accomplish her agenda. The first one is this. She needs an Ahab. Who's an Ahab? Well, an Ahab is a weak leader, okay, who does not walk in their authority, but is a weak leader and gives in and just gives up their authority to whoever wants it. The second thing is this. They were false prophets. What were they all about? Well, they compromised truth. So they needed a weak leader, they needed someone else to compromise the truth, or if I can say it like this, to infiltrate the people of God with mixture of truth. So a little bit of truth and a little bit of something else, which creates a kind of a true-ish kind of feel. And then the third people is this, they needed eunuchs. Now we're not going to get into a long topic talking about eunuchs today. (laughs) That will be for Tuesday night's meeting, (laughs) which we don't have one. Okay, all right. Eunuchs were basically deceived believers that did what she asked them to do. So I'm going to talk, first of all, about Ahab, this weak leader, okay? So remember Ahab, 1 Kings chapter 16, verses 29 to 33, it says this, In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, 
Ahab became king. Um, Ahab, in verse 30, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for uh, Baal in the temple of Baal, and he built in Samaria. And Ahab made a, woman Im- a wooden image, which was a form of idolatry. And then I love this last line. This is a great thing just to remember somebody by. And Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. Talk about just a great statement of faith and encouragement for Ahab's life. Anyhow, that's awesome. He did more to provoke. Why? Because he gave up the very authority God had asked him to to administer and to minister to those around him, and he absolutely gave it up. He was simply a puppet used by um, uh, Jezebel herself. He submitted willfully to Jezebel's beck and call, okay? And oftentimes, Ahabs are very passive when it comes to the authority that they operate in, and they usually give it up far too often. So there's a couple of things I want to make mention of here. Ahabs often operate out of unhealthy patterns. There's four that I want to mention this morning very briefly so that you understand how an Ahab's influenced and where they're coming from, okay? So don't hit your neighbor and say, are you an Ahab? Don't do that right now. Okay, we're not going to do that. We're not going to stand up at the end of the, of the message and, and, you know, and have to confess. Everything. We're not going to do that. But the first thing is this, and Ahab has an orphan spirit. An orphan spirit is someone who doesn't feel like they belong or are accepted. So they give in to someone who's giving them that acceptance. And as a result, they often gravitate towards someone like a Jezebel who's empowering their activity. Okay, so that's the first thing. So they have a wound, an orphan spirit. The second one is this, they have a victim spirit. So victim spirit are people that live in the realm of injustice. In other words, they say they, they always get the raw deal no matter what. doesn't matter what goes on, they're the always one that's getting the raw deal. Okay? The second thing that they do is they, they are people that live in the realm of dishonor. They feel like they are wrongly accused no matter what. So they live in this concept of a victim spirit or victim mentality. The third thing is this, is they're a, they have a wounded spirit. Someone who always or consistently will play the martyr. Okay? The fourth thing is this, they have a critical spirit. When someone else uh, feels the need to, they oftentimes will feel the need to expose somebody else and their issues in order to justify or help elevate themselves in their own eyes. How many have ever seen that happen? Right? Okay. 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 Good. We're, so we're tracking, right? We're tracking? We're good? Okay. So I did a little research. If it's okay, I'm going to get all social worker on you this morning. Is this okay? All right. So I'm going to put my social worker hat on going to go back to my days at John Howard. I'm going to put that on. And I want to talk to you about 21 different, I'm going to reference them, I'm not going to go into detail, but 21 different defense mechanisms of an Ahab. Are you ready? Okay. And if you check off more than 17, you just may have a problem. Okay. All right. <laughs> Woo-hoo. All right. All right. Moving right along. First one is Denial. A refusal to accept reality. Second one is projection. In other words, we're projecting our problems onto somebody else. Third one is repression, which means it's a removal of a thought from our minds, convincing ourselves that something didn't happen. Okay, we repress it, we repress it, we repress it. The fourth one is displacement. The expression of repressed feelings on an innocent person. Can I give you a prime example of this? How many have ever had a bad day at work? Okay, how many came in the door and took it out on everyone inside your house? Okay, that would be a perfect description of that person right there, okay? 
That is called displacement. All right. Reaction formation. Reaction formation. What in the world is that? It's repressing an impulse and replacing it with the opposite behavior in an exaggerated way. So if someone's hurt you, you go out of your way to be so nice to them in order to make them feel bad about the thing that they did to you, which they don't know you did. Should I leave the side door now? <laughs> we good? We good? Okay, I'm looking at these. Li- some of them are like, some of the looks are like, I'm getting both. So I don't know exactly how I'm supposed to take that, but it's all good. We're good. Okay, okay. Here we go. Rationalization, using false logic to be- explain behavior. Undoing. Undoing something unacceptable but then doing something else to make up for it without admitting your original guilt. Minimizing. Reducing the importance of an issue in order to balance out the other person's reaction. Maximizing. Making an issue larger than it is. Of course, that's never happened in the planet Earth ever before. Okay. Uh, Compartmentalizing. It's living two completely different lives so that they they don't interject whatsoever so that you don't feel guilty about the other person. In other words, can I give a church example? You can put on your Sunday best on Sunday, and then you go home and you're a completely different person. All right? So, all right, that's good. All right. Blaming. Blaming someone else for something you did not want to take responsibility for. Over-spiritualizing. Transferring everything onto God. Right? Well, God, you know, instead of just saying, yeah, I made a mistake, and I'm sorry, and I did this, and I did this, I did blah, 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 blah. It's, well, you know, God is... Speaking and God is woohoo, and you're out in the cloud somewhere, okay? All right. Dramatization, drawing attention to oneself. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in a second with Ahab, but filtering, a victim mentality in which everything is fed into a negative mindset. Okay? And again, this is all recorded on, online, www.impactkingston.com. You can go back and listen to this and get all the definitions, okay? Escapism, letting life revolve around things that do not really matter. People-pleasing, living life with an exaggerated need to make everyone around you happy. Okay? Overgeneralization, making judgments about others based on very little information. Okay? Mind-reading, which I believe is the tenth gift of the Spirit. Anyhow, expect others to recognize your needs or making assumptions about other people's motives. The shoulds, I love this one. This is one of my favorite ones. Placing unrealistic expectations on other words. You should have done this. You should have done that. Why weren't you there? You should have. Okay? Emotional reasoning. Living from an emotional perspective in every situation. So you have to understand that these 21 things, that doesn't mean that someone who's operating out of an Ahab spirit or under the influence of an Ahab spirit, that doesn't mean they operate out of all 21. And that also doesn't mean that if you operate out of one of them that you're an Ahab. Okay? What it means is... God is showing you something, you get to repent for it and get God to heal you so that you never give into that thing ever again in your life. Thank you. Yeah. And if you're not sure if you have any of these 21, ask your spouse, your best friend, your children, or those that work with you more than 40 hours a week. Okay. Because they'll know. Trust me. They have been waiting to tell you for 13,000 years. So just ask them. Anyhow, okay. First Kings, I want to I just nail a couple of little things about Ahab. There's, there's a couple main things that he does that is, is very typical of an Ahab spirit. 
First Kings chapter 18, verses 17 and 18, it says this. Then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? And he answered and he says, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord. Listen, Ahab does not love the truth. They love a version of the truth that, that uh, elevates them in people's eyes, but they don't love the truth. Okay? The word forsaken literally means to abandon or to desert. Ahab, in essence, is a, uh, an enemy of truth-tellers or truth-speakers. Okay? 1 Kings 21.4, it says this, So Ahab went into his house, sullen and displeased, because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him, for he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he laid down on his bed and turned away his face and would not eat his food. What's the problem with Ahab? Ahab's emotionally unstable. So there's no stability there. There's no connection point there. And they oftentimes cater to their emotions. The last thing is this. 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 27. It says, when finally Elijah confronted him, and Ahab's response was like this. When Ahab heard those words, he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his body and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about mourning. Now that's the, uh, the Jewish tradition of how to represent repentance. But the problem was, is he never repented. He, rented, he rents his garments, but he didn't rent his heart. In other words, his heart was never dealt with. How do we know this? Well, it's pretty simple. The actions that followed this time are pretty obvious. Number one, he didn't forsake the idols. He didn't tear down the temples in Samaria and Jezreel. He didn't return Naboth's vineyard to the rightful owners. Even though Naboth was dead, he should have returned it to his family. He didn't do that. He didn't bring Jezebel into order. He didn't stand up to her. He put the prophet Micaiah in prison. He was Jezebel's puppet until the day he died. What happens between this relationship between Jezebel and Ahab? Well, Jezebel empowers Ahab, but Ahab enables Jezebel. That's exactly how they function together all the time. The second thing is this. There's a second group of people called the false prophets. There was 450 Baal prophets, 400 Asherah prophets, 450 were in Samaria, 450 were in, or 400 were in Jezreel. And the whole goal of this spirit uh, that Jezebel wants to use with false prophets is to compromise the truth. Revelation 2.20, in the description of the New Testament lady named Jezebel, nevertheless, it says this, I have a few things against you. Because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce, to teach and seduce, to teach and seduce. You have to understand this morning that when someone consistently teaches a form of doctrine or a doctrine that is against Scripture, over time, that person will actually draw you in and convince you that that could be true. It's that seduction side that's happening. Whenever we hear the word seduce, we often think sexual seduction. But I'm not talking sexual seduction here. We're talking the influence of one individual's soul onto another. Okay, so they are drawing you in. They've put the hook in your back and they're just drawing you in. Okay? So we have to be very, very careful with this group of people, false prophets. 1 Kings uh, 18, verses 17 to 22. Actually, I'm just going to reference a couple of things very quickly. But at the end of verse 19, it says that these Asherah prophets and these Baal prophets literally sat at Jezebel's table. They were influenced by Jezebel. They were uh, taught by Jezebel. They were instructed by Jezebel. And it's amazing in verse 21, Elijah confronts them. And Elijah came to all the people. And here was his response after directly confronting the 850 prophets that were compromising truth. Guess what Elijah's response was to the people of God who were getting duped? How long will you literally 
falter between two opinions? What did he prove? Well, he just proved exactly the goal of a false prophet, which is to compromise truth, which is to give you something that's true-ish, that sounds good, that feels good, that is, is something that is palatable to your personal journey where you're at now, but it's not healthy and it's not godly. Why? Because the Bible says in John 8.32 that the truth you know will set you free. The half-truth won't set you free. The truish idea won't set you free, but the truth of God will set you free. And I don't know about you, but I want free people. Amen? I want to be free. Do you want to be free? Okay. All right. All right. All right. All right. All right. That's good. But what really interested me about this thought here is right after that idea, how long will you falter between two opinions? It says, if the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. And then he, he ends with this statement. But the people answered him not a word. And I thought to myself, why is that true? How is it that these people who were compromising the truth of God, which they knew, were silent? Well, number one, they knew he was right, probably. Number two, they, silenced, they were silenced out of fear and intimidation from that spirit that was on them. They were silenced out of confusion. How many know when you're confused, you really don't want to speak because you don't know what you're going to say? You don't know what angle to take. You don't know how to speak to that situation. So they were silent. And they were silent because of compromise. You have to understand that a Baal God, right back to the very beginnings of Baal worship, a Baal God, the whole purpose was prophetic divination. To give you a little bit of something good and mix it with something else so that there's mixture. That's the biggest situation that will dupe most Christians in the world. It goes on in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 1 to 4. And I want you to see the heart of Jezebel um, for not only her own prophets, but for the prophets of God. And it says, And it came to pass over many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. They were in the midst of a famine. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab, and there was a severe famine in Samaria. And Ahab had called Obadiah, who was in charge of his house. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly, for so it was while Jezebel massacred the prophets of God that Obadiah had taken 100 prophets and hidden them 50 to a cave and had fed them with bread and water. She empowered the false, excuse me, the false prophets, but she massacred the prophets of God. So let's think about this for a second today. Can I get really practical down to earth, 2016? How does this happen in a church? Because last time I checked, you know, front page news on the Kingston Whig standard anytime lately was, you know, false prophet uh, killed prophets of God uh, on the front page of the newspaper. I haven't seen that lately. Okay. So how does it happen in church life? Well, from a church member, this is how it could happen. Okay. They love to prophesy out of their own insecurity in order to validate their gift. They'll, they love personal prophecy as, as, as an, it's an in into someone's personal or intimate life. So they're drawing you in. They're literally massacring you one little ounce at a time because they're drawing you away from Christ. They love to in the, uh, live in the realm of mixture. Universalism is, is a great concept of this. How many have ever heard the concept that there's more than one way to God? Right? How many have ever heard the concept that Jesus is not the only way to God, that there's multiple ways to God? Okay. Well, that's a prime example of false teaching and false doctrine that is absolutely being perpetuated in our culture today because people want to believe something. They don't want to deal with their issues, so they want to believe that there's an easy way to God. Yet Jesus himself said, listen, there's wide is the road that leads to destruction. Narrow is the road that leads to life. So we have to choose which road. I love Joshua at the end of all this whole process, getting into the promised land, he looked at the nation of Israel and said, you have to choose today whom you're going to serve. 
you going to choose the gods that were on the other side of the Jordan in Egypt, or are you going to serve the God called Yahweh, the God that we know to be true? You have to make up your mind, okay? So how does it happen from a church leader? I've lost count how many times I've seen this. I've seen this on Christian television. I've seen this in so many different ways. Are you ready for this one? Are you ready? Okay, cool. If you sow into our ministry, you will reap a harvest of financial breakthrough in a powerful prayer life and a restored relationship or blah, 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 blah. So what are they doing? They're saying, if you do this, then God will do that. The reality is, at the end of the day, we, we sow and we give to the kingdom of God. Not because of what we get out of it, but because we get to partner with Jesus. And it's an act of obedience. It's not what you get out of it. It's the honor of blessing God, and it's the honor of worshiping God with our finances. It's the honor of aligning ourselves with His kingdom and saying, we're in, Jesus. Right? False prophets love to give you happy prophecies. Until you see through them and you no longer listen to them, and guess what they start to do at that point? They will start to prophesy out of intimidation and fear in order to keep you under their grip. So they will prophesy to you out of fear so that you are now afraid to not do something or afraid to do something because you're afraid of what's gonna, what the consequences are going to be. Can I just free you up this morning? True, true prophecy. We're actually going to reference this a little bit later on. But Revelation chapter 19, verse 10, it literally says that the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus Christ. And he's a good shepherd. And every time he prophesies, he prophesies from a shepherd's heart. So if you're hearing a prophetic word that does not have a shepherd's heart ringing out of it, I would look at them and say, thank you for your time, and walk away. And if they chase you down, go get Grace, because she'll take them out. All right, I'm telling you right now. Just send Grace in after them. It'll be awesome. So the third group of people is this. Actually, just before I get to that, I want you to understand, false prophets teach in order to compromise, and they prophesy in order to confuse. That's their goal. They teach in order, in order for you to compromise, and they prophesy over you in order to confuse. Okay? So the third group of people, the eunuchs. Well, let's, let's look at, if I can, the end of Jezebel's life. The end of Jezebel's life. And we're going to actually talk in two weeks, uh, on the 26th, about how to overcome the spirit of Jezebel. We're going to talk about Jehu. And then we're actually going to do something completely different than I think we've rarely ever done before. On July 3rd, we're actually going to be doing a Q&A, and uh, Pastor Ray, Sandra, and myself, we're actually going to be sitting up here on stools, and we're going to be answering questions that have been submitted ahead of time regarding this series so that we can literally answer any questions you have. We've had a ton of questions. I thought, you know what, let's just do it in one service. We're going to do a Q&A service. Is that okay? All right. All right. So 2 Kings chapter 9, verses 32 to 34. And I do not want any questions submitted like, are you an Ahab for giving in to being a Leaf fan or anything like that? No, we're <laughs> not. none of those questions can be submitted. Okay. All right. And he looked up at the window. He is Jehu who was the commander of the armies of God, soon to be the king of Israel. And it says, he looked up at the window and said, who is on my side? So he was actually looking up at the eunuchs uh, that were in uh, uh, Jezebel's care. And he said, who? So two or three eunuchs looked out at him. And then he said, throw her down. 
And we're going to talk more in two weeks about who actually really, how Jezebel is defeated. But the eunuchs are a massive part of that, okay? They threw her down. Some of her blood splattered on the wall and on the horse's sword. We just got PG-13 all of a sudden. And he trampled her underfoot. So who were eunuchs? Are you ready for this? This is a mind-blowing and wonderful exercise. All you men, plug your ears for a second. Thank you. A eunuch meant to castrate. So once you're going to go home, you're going to go home, and when you see your neighbor for the barbecue this afternoon, you're going to be like, what did you learn in church today? We learned about castration. (laughs) All right. Well, maybe not. So a eunuch is a man that was castrated before he hit puberty. Okay? And in, in the olden days and in the Bible days, they were seen as trustworthy guardians of a female royal because they had no temptation to do anything. Right? So they were seen as, as people that could be loyal uh, servants of a female royal. Okay? You have to understand today that Jezebel's false kingdom infrastructure relies on eunuchs to sustain it because she hates to do the dirty work herself, so she'll get them to do it. Okay? And oftentimes eunuchs were al- aligned with someone like a Jezebel either out of um, choice or out of fearful duty. How many know that out of intimidation, you can do some pretty dumb things, right? But I have news for you today. That stuff's breaking, so we're not going to have to do that anymore. Um, Think about this. A eunuch had no ability to bear fruit themselves, so they were completely dependent upon Jezebel's empowering to feel fruitful. So everything they did to feel significant or a sense of purpose was done in the capacity of their ability to serve uh, Jezebel in this case. So think about this in church life. So many people are serving in the wrong, with the wrong motives or with the wrong heart or they're serving someone else's agenda. And this is exactly what eunuchs love to do. Okay? Um, interesting as well, they also served in the queen's bedchamber. So they knew intimate things about them. There was things shared in their bedchamber that probably no one else knew. So they had a very close relationship with someone who was influencing them. That often happens the same way in churches today. Okay, so why did Jezebel need the eunuchs? Well, number one, they would do their bidding without question because if they did, they'd be canned. And for them back then, that was their only livelihood because they had no ability to be a man or to bear fruit. So their only livelihood was to continue to maintain themselves under the control of Jezebel. Anything outside of that was meant no life. So think about the pressure in them to stay under someone's thumb. Okay. Eunuchs always perform things that Jezebel didn't want to do. Prime example of this. 1 Kings chapter 19, which we're going to read very, uh, a little bit later, but 1 Kings chapter 19. Elijah defeats the 850 Baal prophets in quite the showdown. It was awesome. El- Jezebel finds out about it and says, not herself, but sends a messenger to tell Elijah that by the end of today, you're going to be dead too. And he runs for his life. Jezebel didn't send it. There was no emails and there was no Snapchat. So Jezebel didn't do it. Who did she send? A eunuch. A eunuch spoke on her behalf. Okay? We also know that Jezebel killed Naboth without Ahab knowing about it, without his knowledge. And I have news for you today. Eunuchs did the same thing. They were the ones that declared that over Naboth. Eunuchs give in because they love and are looking for the praise of Jezebel and feed off that praise. Okay? Eunuchs in Bible days were largely rejected by mainstream society for a variety of reasons. Okay? 
Think about this for a second. They saw the best of everything, but they couldn't partake of any of it. So they felt stuck. Okay? Modern-day eunuchs, modern-day people that are in the churches today are people that are under incredible pressure from others to do certain things or to, uh, or to follow the, uh, the, the pattern or the process for someone else's life. Okay? Modern-day eunuchs are under the control of modern-day Jezebels who use them to erect their own power structure within the church or within your company or within your family. Okay? If I were to ask a question right away of everyone that works in a company that has at least 10 to 15 people or more in it, I think every one of us right away could probably, without saying it out loud, could think of the person in our, in our workplace that operates out of a Jezebel-like spirit and the eunuchs that follow them. Come on, let's be real for a second. You know, they're everywhere. And we, cannot, we can never think that they're not in churches. Now, again, like I said last week, I'll say it again. We have an awesome church. Church is in a great spot. We're a very healthy place. Jesus is awesome. He's on the throne. And we're going to just take Kingston by storm. It's awesome. But that doesn't mean we're ever not susceptible to this stuff. We are, okay? Just like everybody else, all right? So... Uh, they love to forge Jezebel's agenda in the church. You have to understand this morning, eunuchs never create plans. They simply execute them. So when we're kind of processing through who's involved with what or what's doing what happened, you have to understand, eunuchs never, ever, ever create a plan. They're not the ones behind it. Jezebel's the one behind it, but doesn't have the guts to follow it through. So she'll get people to execute it for her and on, beha- on her behalf. Are we tracking? How many just had a, like a wake-up call regarding your workplace? Okay, all right, good, good, good. Okay, so what is the agenda? What is the goal? She's using these three people for what purpose? Well, it's very simple. The entire goal, the entire purpose of Jezebel and all the people that she uses as as her henchmen is very simple. She wants to destroy the prophetic. She wants to destroy the prophetic. What is the prophetic? Now, as soon as we hear prophetic in 21st century Canada, we think it's personal prophecy or it's some guy coming in and and praying over us at the end of a service. That's That's not the true... That's part of prophecy, but that's not the real goal. The goal of prophecy is to bring truth. The entire role of prophecy is to bring truth. You are a messenger of God to bring the truth of God so that people can be set free. Why in the world does Jezebel hate the prophetic? Why? Because they bring truth and they bring true repentance. Truth brings repentance. Repentance brings breakthrough. Breakthrough brings healing. Healing brings freedom. Freedom brings an empowerment to do what God's called you to do, the purpose and plan of God for your life. The true prophetic also will call out compromise like no one's business. Okay? And the one thing I've realized is that Jezebel can never, can never, ever, 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 ever accomplish her agenda when the true prophetic is in operation or a prophet is around. She can't do it. So guess what she wants to do? She wants to get rid of them. So she'll undermine them. She will make them look bad. She'll ruin their reputation. She will get anything and everything done in order to get them to be silenced or to leave. That's what she wants. Okay? Revelation 19.10. I've already referenced it, but you have to understand. It says, worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. If you silence God's prophets, you silence the spirit of prophecy. If you silence the spirit of prophecy... You silence the testimony of Jesus. (laughs) 
And now, if that's happening, guess, guess the realm that we have to live in now. The realm that we live in at that point is, God, I hope something changes and I'm going to try to figure this out on my own because nothing else seems to be working. That's where a spirit like this wants to get you to, where you're so fed up, you're so frustrated, you don't know which way's up, which way's down, which way's left, which way's right, you just give up. Which is exactly what Elijah did. Jezebel's tactics were seen very early on. We already referenced 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 4, and it literally says she massacred the prophets. It goes on in chapter 18, verses 17 to 20, and this is when Elijah started to confront the sins of Ahab's kingdom, and the showdown came. Are you ready for this? It says this, Then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have. It goes on in verse 19, it says, Now therefore send and gather all of Israel to me on Mount Carmel. So I want you to get the picture here. Not only was Elijah confronting 850 false prophets, but he was doing it in front of millions of people. The largest audience that ever could possibly happen, happened that day. And they went to Mount Carmel. Interesting place. Um, It says the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. And so Ahab sent for all of the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. What was Elijah's goal? Elijah's goal was to bring truth. He wanted to bring the truth that God was the only God on the planet, that there was no one else, there was no mixture, there was no false idols or false teaching. It was God, 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 and God. So the only way he thought to do it was to have a confrontation. Now, I don't necessarily recommend this, <laughs> but this is what he did under the uh, influence of God himself. So the showdown began. Here he is, one guy against millions. Okay? One guy. First Kings... 18, 22 to 24, it says, Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore, let us, uh, let's give them two bowls and let them choose one bowl for themselves, cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood. But put no fire under it, and I will prepare the other bowl and lay it on the wood and put no fire under it. Then you call on the name of your gods, and I will call on the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. So all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. That's good. Let's do it. Okay? So, the Baal prophets start praying. Verse 26 says, no one answered. It was silent. The false prophets, the false gods, and the Baal gods never answered. Verse 26, it goes on to say that they started leaping and dancing around the altar. Maybe they thought, you know, if they did the whip or the nene, they'd get his attention. I don't know. Maybe. If he just did Gangnam Style, they probably would have came. But they didn't come. So that didn't happen. So then Elijah gets a little bit bold. Are you ready for this? Verse 27, he says, So it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is God. He must be meditating, or maybe he's busy, or maybe he's on a journey, or perhaps he's sleeping and must be awakened. He's like, come on, bring it on. Bring it on. Is this the best you can do? Come on. Seriously. So now it was Elijah's turn. Are you ready for this? So um, he went all out. He got them to drench his sacrifice in water three times over. And to drench the whole area of the altar three times over. It was drenched. It was absolutely overflowing with water. Okay? Verse 35, it says, So the water ran all around the altar, and he also filled the trench with water. And it came to pass, 
At the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God, that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Then he seized all the Baal prophets. He executed all 850 of them. He did that in Kishon, which literally means the place of luring or temptation. So he destroyed the enemy at the place of temptation. Hello. And he executed all the false prophets, and he had a pretty successful day. And then Jezebel sent a eunuch and said this. So let the gods do to me and more also if you do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow at this time. Remember the TV show 24? That's what he was given. Jack Bauer, you got 24 hours. Just deal with it. All right? So what was his response? I've often wondered, how in the world can a prophet call on the Baal worshippers, the Baal false prophets, absolutely annihilate them in front of millions of people and one person's voice scares the life out of them. How is this possible? This proves it's the spirit. It proves it's not that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we actually wrestle against principalities, powers, and rulers of darkness in this world. Okay? So we're not wrestling against Donald Trump, even though some days we want to. Even though, thankfully, he's American and he's never going to be the Prime Minister of Canada. And everyone said, all right, okay. All right. All right, okay, sorry. Focus. Verse 3. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life, went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. Listen, when you're under attack from intimidation and the enemy, guess what often happens? You leave the people that you, you need most importantly in your life behind. And you go and you hide. Verse 4, it says, but he hid, he hid himself, or sorry, he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree and he prayed that he might die. For he said, it is enough now, Lord, take my life for I'm no better than my father's. It's amazing when you're struggling and you hide yourself and you disconnect yourself from all the people that are life-giving in your life, the first thing that you start to process through is all the things that didn't go right with your, in the past. Why in the world is he referencing all the things that didn't work out with his father? It's pain from the past. I don't think he was thinking about his father when he was calling forth heaven, uh, fire from heaven. I don't think he was thinking about his dad when he was uh, dancing around saying, Hey, is he sleeping, boys? (laughs) Come on, wake him up. Where'd he go? Didn't happen. But suddenly in that moment, he started thinking about everything that didn't work out, everything that wasn't working, everything that that never happened or should have happened but didn't happen, all the disappointments, all the regret, all the shame. Suddenly he thinks about that in that moment. Oppression took over. And God's response to him was very simple. Elijah, what in the world are you doing here? Why are you here? So his response was, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. This is verse 10. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, tore down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. Uh, he constantly thought in that moment that he was alone. But the reality was, as Obadiah hid a hundred prophets, 
And God actually goes on in a second here and actually talks about 7,000 others that he's kept. Okay? So God's response in verse 15 is powerful. It says, Then the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, anoint Haziel as king over Syria. You shall anoint Jehu the son of Nimshi over Israel, and Elisha as prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Haziel, Jehu will kill, and whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not been bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. I've, can I just be honest with you this morning? I've always struggled with this passage. Always. And I, I feel like I kind of had insight into this for the first time this week. I've always looked at this and said, God, why in the world would you not have grace and mercy on this poor man who just defeated the entire Baal false prophets on your behalf? And suddenly, you, the first basically word out of your mouth is, okay, I'm going to replace you. I'm going to replace you with somebody else. And I look at that and I go, God, where's your compassion? Where's your mercy? And then I realized... I, I, I'm completely reading this with 21st century lenses. Totally. Why did he have to replace him so quickly? Because the only person that can defeat Jezebel is a prophet. And Elijah was hiding in a cave, which means Jezebel, from the moment he took off until that moment, which we read in Scripture was at least 40 days, for 40 straight days, Jezebel was having her way across the entire nation of Israel, and no one was stopping her. At least to that point, her influence was limited because Elijah was around. So he looked at it and says, I can't. I've got to protect, fe- protect my sheep. Elijah, I love you. I believe in you, man, but I've, I've got to get Elisha in on this because Elisha's got double what you got, and he's going to deal with this lady once and for all. Okay? He understood the value that superseded what we see as the value of compassion. And he saw the value of truth. It trumps it. <laughs> when Jesus was confronted by Pilate, when he was taken in behind after he'd been questioned, you know, Pilate looked right at Jesus and says, why are you here? And he says, I'm here because of truth. It's the only reason I came is for truth. So we have to understand that when truth is absent, chaos and confusion and compromise reign supreme. When truth is there, that spirit does not have full reign and it's only a matter of time before that spirit loses influence, loses its uh, authority, which is really a false authority, and just peters off and disappears. Okay? But you want to see where the compassion of God comes back? It's awesome. I'm going to end with this thought. God gave Elijah one last chance. He used this prophet one more time with Jezebel. And guess what he used Elijah to do? He said, Elijah, I'm going to use you one more time. And I want you to be the prophet that prophesies her destruction. So 1 Kings chapter 21, verse 23, it says, And concerning Jezebel, the Lord also spoke, saying, The dogs shall eat Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. This is Elijah speaking on behalf of God. Jezebel will fall by the wall of Jezreel. And then I started thinking to myself, what was the wall of Jezreel? Well, if we go back to the story in 1 Kings chapter 21, the beginning of it, we'll understand that the parcel of land that was directly beside the wall at Jezreel was Naboth's vineyard. And Naboth means fruitfulness. So God allowed Elijah to be the truth teller 
that brought back what was stolen from the enemy. You have to understand, it doesn't matter what you see in your natural eye. It doesn't matter what's going on in the natural. If we stand up and we become that prophetic voice that God wants us to be, and we're going to be a, a, a mouthpiece for God, I have news for you. The very first thing that God always does is takes you back to the very place that your fruitfulness was stolen from you. And he will restore you, 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 and he'll restore you. Because that is the heart of God. It doesn't matter what Jezebel's convinced you of. It doesn't matter what his henchmen have convinced you of. The reality is, is that you're going to go back to your own personal Naboth, which was that place of fruitfulness. And God's going to restore it. Do you believe that this morning? Thank you for taking the time to listen to one of our messages from Impact Church. We hope and trust that this message encouraged you. If you want to find out more information about our church, check us out online at www.impactkingston.com.